It's an interesting one, man. Like, training was always something that I was really interested in. I think for the wrong reasons in the beginning. I started training. I started wanting to go to the gym when I was in high school, about 15 years old, because I was just really insecure about my body. I was an incredibly skinny kid. I was like a kind of classic tall, lanky teenager. And both my parents are quite tall and skinny as well. And so, yeah, and it was some of the, honestly, parts of me were really insecure about. And I got bullied for it a little bit as well. So I had a lot of motivation to start going to the gym. And I was going pretty regularly after school with my friends. Three, so how, how old? I was 15. So you started going to the gym at 15? 15, 15 yeah. yeah. Same as me, pretty much. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And um, it's interesting to hear other people speak about their stories about, oh, and yeah, and then by the end of high school, I was, you know, really big. <laughs> the opposite for me. Yeah. I was absolute just still as much i got stronger but i was still just as much of a stick as when i started and yeah. that was the the opposite of what i wanted and it stayed that way for literally the next nine years i was consistent with my training i did tried everything under the sun from counting my calories to you know keto to veganism to oh man and other different programs as well and i just nothing didn't manage to make anything work for me and it was super, super frustrating. And it was embarrassing and people were like, oh, do you go to the gym? And yeah, it was something that honestly in my own head, it was probably worse, but it was, it was a real point of, of tension, a point of concern in my life. And it was only after I actually found kind of calisthenics. I met a dude in the gym that was kind of doing some handstands and I saw some Ida Portal videos online, um, who's a famous kind of movement coach, kind of pioneered the movement. Um, and I started getting into more body weight stuff. And that's actually the first thing that really started to move the needle for me. I ended up building a little bit of muscle, but I got super injured at the same time. I got tendonitis in both wrists, both elbows, both shoulders, and both knees. So just to go back quickly, where was your schooling? Uh, in Melbourne. Melbourne, okay. Yeah. And then how old were you when you found the Edo movement sort of stuff and... So, so that's like 10 years, nine, 10 years into training. Then you found that. So that yeah. was what, what sort of year or how old were you? So I would have been 24 okay. roughly. So you trained nine years from 15 to 24 then. Yeah. And that was basically like going to the gym. Yeah. Just doing some bench. Doing, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just, was it like compound? I'm only interested because mm. for me, it wasn't like, like I never early on learned to deadlift or anything. Yeah. It was like some leg press, bench press, seated row yeah, and some chin-ups. And that was pretty much the whole thing. Was your, did you look, what did you, how did you learn the first time? And then how did that um, transition go into the movement stuff after? Like what were you doing exactly before then that yeah. wasn't working? And then, you know, what did that first calisthenic stage look like? So it's really interesting. I was always really into the physical side of movement. I was always really into technique and trying to make sure I was doing everything right. I spent hours like looking at, you know, bodybuilding forums and videos online. And, and I was always really interested in the technical aspect of it. And I remember even quite early on wanting to, you know, give my friends advice about how to do their form and stuff like that, even though I was still, you know, absolute stick, which is very funny. But I feel like that's something I, I naturally gravitated towards and naturally understood a bit better. So yeah, I mean, it was deadlifting, it was bench and, you know, pushing dumbbells and barbells and that kind of stuff, a bit of machine work, a bit of accessory cable work and stuff like that. But the real fall down for me was it was always chasing shiny object syndrome. Hmm. It was always because I was so involved in trying to learn about the absolute best way, the top tier way, I ended up focusing on all the little 3%, 1% things. My program was chock full of accessory movements and I didn't really ever 
focus on being consistent with a set number of movements, progressively overloading them over time. And I was also chasing around different diets and stuff like that. And that were you were you chasing that stuff from the like the like the blogs and the online world yes. or was it did you have a trainer or no i'd never had a trainer until i was probably 25 26 mm -hmm. and yeah i was chasing the online stuff because it was always another i was always watching videos and there was always a new video about like the one exercise you have to be if you're not doing this chest exercise variation you're leaving gains on the table and youtube was, youtube yeah. yeah youtube all like yeah i think <clears throat> that's the problem with the way that kind of search and algorithm based things like youtube is set up is it's just like the things that look the most different the things that are the most captivating in terms of attention the things that make the most bold claimed and then not necessarily the things that speak to the, the boring fundamentals mm. and so the reason that i spent so long training without any really meaningful results and i have i still have the photos it's hilarious to look back on is because i always was chasing that shiny object and i was always dumping oh i must not be doing this right i must have to add this in and never having any kind of consistency or focus on the fundamentals what do you think that tipping point is where it shifts where it's like they may still hire the coach to get guidance and stuff like that but it's more now it's more like a move towards pleasure thing right it's like oh yes. i want to hire a coach because i want to learn this or i want to what do you think happens like with the clients that you've worked with and people you see or from yourself where it was like i guess that shift in enjoyment that shift in fulfillment yeah, this is something I'm actually super passionate about. And I think it's a really important question to ask oneself as well. And I think that there are two main like implications or two main things that drive it. Number one is that I don't think that a lot of people put nearly enough importance on the what of what they do. They might think about, okay, what am I going to do to get this particular outcome that I want in terms of like bigger muscles or less fat or something like that. That's what the lens they run the what through. But in my personal experience, that can be a bit of a nebulous. It is important to have that goal, but it's also so important, unless you're a professional athlete, to really, really love what you do. Because if you want to become great at anything, or if you want any long-term, if you want any really significant outcomes in your body, it's going to take a while. Mm. And therefore, you need something that's going to set you up sustainably for the long term, not only in terms of what can you stick to, adherence and stuff like that, but also what do you enjoy? What do you mm. like to do? And if you're able to get that sense of, well, maybe I don't like kettlebells so much, but when I go and train handstands and then some overhead pressing so I get stronger for that, that lights me up. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go back and do that again. That is going to help you be so much more consistent, so much more frequent with your training. You're gonna be more likely to make some other adjustments and concessions in your life like, okay, maybe I'm gonna drink less on the weeknights because I, I wanna go and I wanna, I wanna train in the morning. If you can start to have that North Star of something you actually really love to do with your body, this is why it's the first question I ask when I sit down with someone in a consult, the first time I speak to them is like, what do you like to do? What fires you up? What lights you up? Mm. And if I can help that person make training or the gym or workouts link together with that thing that lights them up or if it's surfing or even if something outside the gym, all of a sudden you start, you start to organize and prioritize everything in your life, not everything, but other things in your life with this in mind, not that it's a chore, or fuck, I just have to do this, but something that you're like, I get to do this. And if you're able to make that shift, mm. you're able to take the long-term road and you're able to be consistent over time. And all of these different things start to fall into place in terms of your actual results can get better as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think about someone, 
I remember when we had the gym and I'd think about someone coming in, getting started, like, you know, maybe started again. Maybe they used to do something early and then started again in 42, 38, something like that. But the tolerance is really low. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, because they've been, they just haven't been doing it for 15 years because of the career and, and that sort of stuff. And you can see it in their eyes that they mm-hmm. they ha- they had it, you know. And so they come in and they start attacking in the class. And but because the tolerance is low, it's you can see it's really stressful. Like yeah. it's 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 hard. Yeah. And it's interesting, and and I've had this too. Where it's like to get that love back for it. Like mm-hmm. there's almost that ego piece, right? To like okay dude, you gotta, we gotta slow things down here a little bit. Like we'll, we'll have some fun. We've got to, you gotta walk before you can run again. Cause you use, I know you used to do 15 chins when you were in high school, but you know, your first rep now looks terrible and yeah. it looks like your head's going to pop. We got, <laughs> we got to slow it down. Like, so yeah. Like, is this, is there, do you, do you, I guess the question is like, do you find yourself coaching on dosage or perceived effort or ways to have that? I guess if the opposite of fun is like struggle mm-hmm. um, and there's got to be a little bit of struggle, right? But like, how do you sort of balance that to help people to, to get a groove that's consistent so that they, I know they work with you for what, 12 weeks minimum or yeah. something like, yeah. How do you sort of uh, regulate that and, and coach people around you know, in Buddhism, I think they call it right effort, like right, the yeah. right amount of effort, not too much strain come coming easily to you a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? Have you seen that kind of thing pop up? Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think, I think I used to overcoach stuff like this. Whereas now I like to kind of just give them the minimum necessary stuff. Because also when you start a new program, especially ones that I do, there's a lot of new exercises. You're not doing deadlift, squat, bench. You know what I mean? There's a mixture of skill-based work. I do a lot of handstands and rings, but there's also a lot of detailed like mobility, strength through range of motion exercises that people are generally not familiar with. Mm -hmm. So there's a pretty steep learning curve. So the way that I try and start things off is whenever you begin a program for that specific stimulus, it takes less work to get you a significant result because mm. it's new because it's new stimulus yeah. so if you go and let's just say that your maximum they call it mrv maximum recoverable volume let's just say that you could do 20 sets a week of something for your push and that's the maximum you could recover for if you're like cool i'm gonna start my program at 20 sets a week you've got nowhere to go you've got nowhere to progressively overload you've like started all the way up against the finish line you know what i mean and you're only going to go down from there. You also need to recover from this. You've also got other stuff to do. So I always start people off with less sets than is their maximum. And that not only gets them to their workouts take less time because it's only a couple of sets per exercise. They get to learn the technique. They get to focus on making this new program a part of their life. And then over time, once they've done that, they've done their testing, they send videos in, they're really comfortable with the form. Then it's also time to start progressively overloading because now after you've been doing something for a couple of weeks, you need a little bit more volume. So it actually perfectly follows the learning curve if you start it right Mm. to start with less volume, focus on making it a part of your life, focus on getting the habits in place, getting the technique, and then you can slowly add volume over time. And that's still going to get you moving in the direction that you want to, making sure that you're doing, you're getting the progress that you want. And again, the question piece comes in. So every one of my clients tracks every one of the reps that they do with me, 
because I also want to see an upward trend over time. If you're going to pay for a program, you don't want to get to the end of it and be like, um, did it work? Did it not? Mm-hmm. We want to see an upward trend in your performance over time so that you can reliably expect called you're progressing, you're getting stronger, you're building more muscle, you're getting closer to that skill that you want to get. Yeah. So that's how I think that you can make it more a habit. I also program, yeah, like rate of perceived exertion, reps and reserve, depending on what it is. And that can start lower as well. And you can build that up over time in terms of intensity. Mm. And the last thing I think is important as well is maybe something harder to program, but also more of a soft skill and stuff I do on my coaching work is like, what's your relationship with it as well? Like you mentioned the ego. Why is this person going hell's bells, balls to the wall and trying to do, you know, 15 chin-ups when they know that their elbow started hurting at rep eight or why they're afraid to push themselves too hard or anything that comes in there. It's also really important to examine your relationship with the thing. Mm. In, In my case, I'll speak for myself. When I was younger, I would bounce around so many different things because I wanted the results so badly and I wanted it in two weeks time because I felt like I was suffering for it now. So I would bounce around so many different things. Anyone that told me I could get it in 30 days or six weeks, I'd go with them. And that's also a reason like making short-term concessions over and over and over again. If I'd really trained with, if I'd started and be like in nine years, I'm gonna train consistently with that time horizon, I would have been incredible. Mm. But it was those short, constant concessions that kind of hamstrung my progress. Yeah. I feel like it's a mindset thing we yeah. have, we have to learn, isn't it? I remember that point in my journey, and I I switched to forty year time cycles because mm. uh, my old man's thirty six. He was thirty six when I was born, and he got me into training. And wow. then so I saw his he he only started training in his fifties or something like wow. properly, but so then I was like watching him, then watching me. Then I learned like different methods, and then I'd give him programming, and it kind of turned a little bit. And I was like, you know what? Like, he's 40 years older. If I can, I can, I have a pretty good, you know, it's almost like having a version of me (laughs) because we're kind of similar in a lot of ways, not always, obviously. But I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to take all these things down around like next year or whatever. We're going to think about 40 years. So I'm I'm just coming into this in a couple of years. It'll be the second 40 year cycle. Be like, okay, how am I going to train? through to while I'm crushing it at 80 and then 120 or whatever. See, yeah. it's like, but it's almost like that, right? Like it takes so long, yeah. you know, it's so long to get to where I think people really want, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, cause you see these things on the internet. So even for someone never done a chin up, they're seeing people doing weighted chins or something. It's like just that might yeah. be depending when they enter, maybe never or it might be five years yeah like it's a, it's a long time you know and this is why it's so important to enjoy what you, you gotta do. enjoy it yeah and you've got to pick a good goal as well because yeah. in my experience like my only priority was to look good mm. and i struggled with that for ages and it didn't matter how many people i heard say when you get it it doesn't matter i was like again this is the underlying mindset stuff I was like, cool, that's awesome for you. But I know how much I internally feel like I'm suffering because of the way I perceive my own body. Mm. So therefore, if I fix that problem, quote unquote, then I'm going to feel better. And I got to the end goal. Eventually, I got more shredded and I got in better shape. And 
I actually had a way worse relationship with my body and it didn't bring me any happiness whatsoever. Mm. And I'm just either going to be another dude saying that or it's something that we really need to talk about because I think a lot of people say that, but then the way they train doesn't really reflect anything different. Mm. It's like, oh, you won't get it when you're happy, but here's my eight-week shred program. What I think is much more important to do is like, yeah, cool. It's important to you know, factor in the way that you look. I think it's important to have a good relationship with your body. And if it's the number one priority above everything else, I think that the tendency is to make that a problematic relationship. Mm. So if you can put something else, something that you enjoy, a process that you enjoy as your North Star and have some muscle building and some fat loss stuff as factored into your approach as kind of like happy byproducts, then number one, I believe it's more effective. And number two, you're going to enjoy the process more and the end result isn't going to be this flat fall. I still feel exactly the same about myself or I have body dysmorphia or whatever. It's going to be like, oh, I actually really enjoyed that process. Here's all the things I can do with my body. My body feels great and I enjoy the way I look as well. It's not bad to train for aesthetics by any means. I don't want to demonize that. But it's also a problematic thing to have as your North Star. Yeah. And I think a healthy... uh the people who train for aesthetics, even competition, there would be a range of approaches within that sphere. Yes. As in some people probably do it because they love the process and have a yeah, health. You know what I mean? That's true. I think it's probably a separate, its own, it's its own perception game, isn't it? That's true. The tricky thing is for someone, and I notice this in business too, when you're starting out, like you got an offer or something and someone says, you know, we really need to have outcome independent thinking here and really love the process, but you need to pay rent and you need the first couple of, you know, people to buy that offer. And there's a big hurdle there. And if you can get over the hurdle, all of a sudden more people buy the offer. It's Mm -hmm. a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but easier said than done. If you're on the other side of the hurdle and it's like that with training, it's like, it's easy to say after 10 years, we got to love the process. Hmm. But if you, if the person's looking at themselves and there is a self-concept that's not that strong and they see themselves physically and they go, you know, wherever that idea came from, they're like, oh, I'm not really happy with where I'm at or whatever. Hmm. It, I can imagine it would be difficult. And hence the, this, the shred thing continues to be sold. Uh, and I'm agnostic about all of that stuff, hmm. but you know what I mean? Like I yes. can see, like it's a, it's a, it's an understandable conundrum, right? That to to that people will be in some people in that part of the journey. And absolutely, and I think that it can be easier said than done. And I think that there is there's a lot of that disconnect with, with people that are, have been in the game for much longer and they're standing there and they're in top 1% shape of the world. And, you know, they're also being like, and it's, aesthetics is not everything. And you're kind of looking at them and you're like, well, really? The I context see, that they're speaking exactly. from. Yeah. I see that going on for sure. But I, I'm purely speaking from my, and like in my case, I'm speaking from my own experience because I actually found that doing the thing like that was less effective for me mm. because it was causing me to make all these kinds of errors. Like the, the way I was thinking about training, the relationship I had with my own body was causing me to make poor choices 
for my aesthetic this you know for my aesthetic goals anyway yeah yeah the so, neediness was was affecting the absolutely. process absolutely i've experienced this in business i've experienced this in training i've experienced this in so many areas of my life yeah so for me what i then went and did was i was like okay experiment i'm going to lean really hard into the things that i love to do now if what you love to do is table tennis you're probably not going to have huge aesthetic you know goals from that but for me rings and handstands and so I'm going to lean really hard into doing that and, and put the skills there at, as my North Star. I'm going to prioritize that above everything else. And once I started doing that, I started to enjoy my training a lot more. I started to train more often. And because they're quite high intensity movements, I also started to build much more strength and muscle. And those were in the last few years, there's definitely the best results I've had in my life. And I've also seen clients experience it too. So this isn't just some kind of like, finger wagging like don't do this but you know like this is something i really believe in something i really feel passionately about because it's my experience and i've experienced it with clients as well Mm. do you want to talk about the a little bit more of the mindset side we we touched on that concept that idea of self-concept like how you see yourself Mm. you know your internal stories and narratives about who you are and yeah not better than other people or whatever but uh, this concept of being proud of who you are and, and yeah. you know, and confident or whatever the word is you want to use. And then we've talked before, I know, before the podcast about, you know, well, there's obviously not just the driver of training, but then there's the mindset sort of thing. And, and you've spoken about that before. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you see going on and how you, how that comes up in conversation with the clients around training, around their own self-concept or how they see themselves? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge question. There's so many, you know, even the distinction between mind and body is is a is an imposed distinction. You know what I mean? They they are so inseparable from one another, and they also impact one another in such a huge way. This is partly why I love starting with the body, because when people try and start with, oh, I'm just going to think this differently, often that's not a very actionable kind of thing. When you get into the moment, your body feels a certain way. If you're feeling fear, anxiety, it's very, very overcoming. It's very difficult to just outthink your way out of that. So that's why I love starting with the body in terms of physical things, training, sleep hygiene, nutrition, and getting people to feel a certain way and feel better. But also in my experience, like if I tell a little story, like it wasn't the only thing that, if it's the only intervention, sometimes it doesn't get you what you want. In my experience, what I really wanted when I said I want to build more muscle and do that kind of stuff is I really wanted to feel more confident and comfortable in my own skin. And young Fernandez kind of just equated those and was like, oh, well, they must be the same thing because I see other big muscly people and they look a certain way and they look like they're confident. So mm-hmm. I just kind of coupled those up in my head. And fair enough, that there's, there's correlation there. But what I found was that when I went on that whole journey, did the whole thing and tried to do all the aesthetics-based training and everything like that, I got to the point where I was like working as a topless waiter and should have had all of the confidence in the world, but actually I felt way more insecure and it just it was that much more palpable because now I had the thing that I thought I wanted for so long and it didn't actually give me the thing that underneath everything is what I wanted. So then I had to get really real with myself and ask myself, okay, well, if this is the thing I've tried this way, it didn't work. So now what? 
Mm. And that's part of the time where I was doing a lot of work on myself as well. Um, a lot of inner work. And this is what started to help me examine my relationship with training and my body and start to go deeper as to what was underneath that. And as soon as I started to identify the parts of myself that had coupled those two things, the, the body image and the confidence in my mind, I started to build a better relationship with the parts of my felt, myself that felt insecure for a whole host of other reasons that would want to train and, and you know chase these aesthetic goals for all these other kinds of reasons. I started to look under the hood and be like, okay, why are these things here? And what is really going to get me to feel the way about myself that I want to feel, how I want to feel? It wasn't building muscle. Hmm. And I also had to do a little, you know, I had to completely, honestly, throw out what I've been doing in my business. I just started my business in like 2020, 2021. And I built all my kind of marketing stuff around like, oh, the hard gainer challenge. And, you know, like, cause that was my story. I was a skinny dude that ended up building some muscle. But really, if I was going to build my business around this thing, I was doing it for these reasons because I wanted to feel a certain way about myself. And I was living proof that it didn't work. Mm. I was living proof that not that muscle stuff didn't work, but that that wasn't actually the thing that was going to get me to feel how I wanted about myself. Yeah. And so I was, again, I was like, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to try and lean really hard into doing things more for enjoyment as my normal star and also work on my relationship with myself, start to build a relationship with all these different parts of me around self-love and start to use that as a base point to jump off. And ever since then, my training has gotten much more effective. I enjoy the process a lot more. And I also do feel the confidence and security in myself that I want to feel that that aesthetic stuff didn't tick the box for. Yeah. So how do you do that practically? Let's say with a client, is that within the conversation of the coaching, if that's something that they want to talk about or find out about, or is that a separate thing? How does that sort of pop up in the conversations? Yeah, it can be a few, it can be a few different ways. Not everybody is ready to go as deep as, you know, fully looking under the hood at all of the relationships and the, the, you know, the formative experiences that made those relationships. So I try and always meet the client where they're at. And it might be as simple as, helping somebody understand that they don't need to go balls to the wall every single set and, you know, push through pain and everything like that because they want to get a particular result and start to examine, okay, well, like, hey, like, you know, you actually don't have to do that and start to get them to live the thing differently as opposed to just, you know, talking about it. Start mm-hmm. to be like, cool, well, what, you know, you're actually still going to get the thing that you want to do if you train a little bit more moderately like that. So it can start as a super surface level conversation. Then there are other clients that I do more private coaching with to go deeper with and start to really examine their relationships behind why these things are. And they always train at the same time because it's not just a matter of thinking about something differently. It's a matter of both, yes, examining, reconciling, you know, different, you know, problematic beliefs within yourself and then also doing something else differently and showing up differently in the world having the hard conversation that you need to have, doing something that's more nourishing and, and loving to your body as opposed to not feeding it properly or feeding it too much or something like that. So it looks very different for different people. And I think it really depends. And there's many different ways to do this, by the way. But I think it really depends at what level you're willing to go and look underneath the hood and get real about the different driving motivational factors for the ways that you do things. Mm. 
Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. So it sounds like almost it's, you have this way of bringing people or this, this mission of bringing people from a non-training or, or maybe a, a lost training direction or non-training at all, or maybe a little bit, but that's, it's not really quite landing for them and teaching them to train, right? Like teaching them to learn, to have a process, whether it's, and using obviously the stuff that you do around rings, some body weight strength, some hypertrophy, mobility, that kind of stuff. And then as part of that conversation, because of where they get to, where we might find ourselves in life at whatever age, it's like, okay, well, you know, and it makes sense, right? Like if I'm, if I'm 38 and I haven't really been training, chances are my relationship with it aren't, it isn't great because I haven't been, it's, it's obvious because I haven't been doing it. So something's been blocking that. So then the other side of that conversation is rather than just ramming that, whether it's a newbie or someone getting back into it, ramming them a, a program and saying, here you go. You're like, you going, okay, this, there may be something more here, whether that's mental or the stories that you're telling yourself. And then you're helping to have that conversation as well so that, they can get that traction they need on the training side and get the rebuild the relationship with it. Absolutely, man. Like something most people I work with have already been training in some capacity. Okay. They might have not a great relationship with it. They might have not achieved the results they want. A lot of people are just bored with the way that they've been doing things. The same kind of bodybuilding split for years is doing the same old thing. That's feeling pretty burned out. They don't have the same motivation to go back and keep doing it. Mm. But a lot of the other mindset stuff is important and it's going to come. Mm. But in my opinion and my experience as well, it's really difficult to start to go and do that deeper inner work when you don't have a strong foundation of a relationship with your body. Mm. If you are really, really underslept, if you are not moving your body frequently, if you're in pain in your body, when you sit for periods of time or something like that, you're fighting your own physiology and it's a really up, it's enough of an uphill battle anyway to go and do that deeper emotional work mm. that I really believe that it's important to get your body feeling the way that it's going to feel because it's also the vehicle through which you express these emotions. Doing this deeper emotional work is fucking pretty intense. A lot of stuff comes out through your body and a lot of pain is expressed through your body. So it's really important to build that solid foundation either alongside or even before you start to go and do that deeper emotional work yeah. as well. So that's why my first port of call is always with the body. It's also something that people understand a lot better. And once they start to build that relationship with themselves, they start to get those, they're feeling a bit more energetic. They've got a, like, a kind of strong physical practice that they really enjoy doing. It's part of their long-term way of life. And then from that place, it's a much more stable place to go mm. and kind of look a little bit deeper under the hood yeah. and kind of do a yeah. bit more deep emotional work. Yeah. And even once you have done it for a long time, you start to, you realize that like, even if you're feeling off, like, what do you do? Well, you go train or you go do something with yeah. your body and you feel better. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's not always foolproof, but it's like the no. first point. It's like, if I'm for feeling sure. funky, I like, I'll get out for a walk or go to the gym and nine times out of 10, it's better. It may not be a hundred, like, it's not like it solved the problem, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, Sometimes it does. 
yeah. sometimes it's crazy. Like you go and you move some weight around or you go for a walk or you go do some whatever stretching or whatever. And, you know, it's pretty mind blowing how good that can be. I'm a big believer in getting to the root of the problem. Mm. And for many things in our life, the root of the problem is just like a kind of temporary fluctuation in physiology. Mm. So for those things, if the root of the problem is something anchored in that, or maybe like you haven't eaten very well or slept or you drank a little bit or something like that, then doing something that affects your physiology and changes your physiology, changes your state, can help with those things. Mm. Some things might lie much deeper than that. Mm. And some childhood trauma stuff isn't gonna be fixed by going to the gym or jumping in a cold bath, you know what I mean? So those kinds of things require some deeper work. The ice bath is a, sol- it's a <laughs> it's 2023 it's solution, the solution for everything. For everything. It's been I was going to do a post on that. Yeah. I'm like, I was going to say, I'm like the one, I'm a business coach. I won't make you do a dollar in ice bath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Um, so, okay, cool. Is there anything else that you have found or you want to talk about with your programming or how it, how it actually works with people? I know you do people, a lot of people face to face here in Newcastle, but also, online like how does how do you structure that in a way that works you know and people get excited about i think the main the main thing for me that i don't see and i wish this was done more i wish more people would do this so if you're a coach please take my take this and run with it but it's so important in my opinion to start with an assessment there's so there's a billion free online programs out there if you want to learn to do a handstand if you want to learn to do a muscle up watch a YouTube tutorial or something like that. You know, there's so many generic cookie cutter ways, so much information out there. And if you're going to work with a coach, don't pay them to give you a cookie cutter approach. What the difference between a good coach or someone that's going to actually walk you through a process is that number one, they should do an assessment on your body to find out how your body is capable of moving. The muscle up's a great example. There's, it's a multi-joint movement, right? And so is, so is a deadlift, so it's a squat, anything. And different people have different capacities in their body. Some people are going to have quite rounded shoulders and or some people are going to have shoulders that aren't very good at getting into extension, for example, which is really what you need to go deep through the transition period of a muscle up. If you don't have the capacity to move a joint, you can't move where you can't move. So if you don't have that capacity, you can train the muscle up all you want. But if you can't get your chest anywhere close to the rings when you do a pull up, you're not getting through that unless you really throw yourself up there. There's so many different things like that. And this gets pretty nitty gritty, pretty fine down to scapular function and down to everything. If you don't have a good snapshot of where this person is at, then you are not going to be in the best position to write a program for them. If you want to get to point B, you need to know where point A is. You'd never set off on a journey if you had a map going, if you didn't know where you were starting from. Mm. So that's why... It's so important if you're going to work with a coach or if you want to do something, get an assessment, get a snapshot of where you are, get a diagnosis, get something to tell your body where it's at, some strength testing and some mobility. And that's going to give you a much better idea of where to go in terms of your programming, what intensity is going to be best for you, what movement is going to be best for you, what parts of a movement you need to train the most. And then you spend your time training the thing, the qualities that you do not yet have. Mm. If If you train something you're already very good at, you lack all of these other things in a complex skill you're never going to get there so that's why what i do with every single every single person i work with whether it's online or in person so i'll do an assessment with them i'll understand all of the different factors part of it's a movement assessment part of it's a lifestyle analysis of their sleep nutrition lifestyle work stresses everything because i want to get a good understanding of what 
What am I dealing with? What factors are going to contribute to how this person responds to training? Once I have that information, I'm best suited to give that person something that's a unique approach for them. Mm. Because if you, people say is the best to train in the morning or the afternoon, if you just come off night shift or something like that, your requirements are going to be much different for someone that works from home Mm. or someone that has a newborn child versus someone that, you know, is an athlete that sleeps 10 hours a night. Those different, those people need to have very, very different approaches in their program. Yeah. So that's why I'm so passionate about like, do your homework, do your due diligence or find a coach who's going to help you do that due diligence so that you're much better prepared to get where you want to go. And then once you get where you want to go, it's not going to take two weeks. It's not going to take three weeks. It needs to be consistent, focused work over a period of time. And that's why I work with the 12 week minimum as well, because I want to help people understand that if you want to just be kind of hands off and do whatever, do it get a program online, follow some YouTube tutorials, that works for some people. But if, you need, if you're struggling to get where you wanna go, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, if you wanna learn a complex skill, it's gonna take some coaching. Mm. And if you're gonna get that coaching, then invest in somebody who's gonna invest in you. And yeah. that's probably the biggest thing I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think uh, a couple of things popped to mind for me when I've worked with coaches on the physical training side. And one is, the just the proximity i really value proximity to people who are doing or have done the thing Mm. and i know it sounds almost like like it's almost it's not really like something that's got value per se on paper but when i sit down with them i got this program a little while ago from this dude blaine mcconnell he jumps on i got a call he's over in iceland this was last year and I, he goes, okay, let's do the call to get to do the snapshot, see where you're at. And I sit down on the call. This dude is a beast, and he's. I see him. He's filling out the frame of the the Zoom screen, and super athletic, super strong. And I'm just like listening to him speak. He's like, "What do you want to do?" I'm like, "Well, I just want to learn from you, basically, which is what I wanted." But I'm just absorbing how he's thinking, mm-hmm. absorbing, and then I send him messages. And he, I, I see what he writes back and I'm just absorbing his thinking, watching his training, then looking at my training, adjusting. But I think there's this thing you get with a coach that's not that you don't get from a program, but you, and the, like you said, the programs can be great too. Yeah. I have bought a program from him as well, but yeah. the biggest thing was the proximity from someone like getting into training, then working with you going, okay, like I'm working with Michael in that story that we tell ourselves that they see you train, then you send them the program and then there's a dialogue and they almost, they almost learn, you almost get the consciousness by osmosis. You know what I mean? And then of course there's all the stuff on top of that, but I think there's a huge value in whether, whether this is just that front end call or there's a messaging or something. It's like, it's almost like, you know, returning back to the olden days, ideally they would come and they'd, you know, live with you in this yeah. like compound for six months yeah. and they would be your student and yeah. stop all of life's activities in yeah. order to learn the ways of Fernandez <laughs> <laughs> and train together. Yeah. Right. But we, we don't have that so much now because of life, yeah. but you have proximity in other ways. And I just wanted to share that. I think that getting on the phone with you or whatever it is that when you work with a coach, to me, that's like, 
that's the guts and then there's the the program there's all the other things as well i think there's a big consciousness translation you can pick up too yeah well i mean the good news is that i'm starting an ashram in 2024 you you guys can all come and join my cult there you go no i think you're i think you're exactly right and i think the other thing something that i really pride myself on in in my coaching approach with my clients is that there's i mostly work online and so i do some in-person stuff wherever i am but the bulk of what i do is online and when it basically is structured around like submitting videos you'll video yourself doing a set you'll submit the video and then you'll receive coaching on that and the biggest thing where this comes through even over the stuff i do in person is because when someone does that not only i'm giving them feedback but i'm telling them to watch the video back i'm drawing diagrams on their images i'm telling them where their shoulders are in relation to their hands when they're in a handstand you get all of this kind of feedback you learn so much more about your own body where it is in space if you've ever videoed yourself doing a complex movement or some acrobatics something like that it's immediately hilarious like you don't move how you think you're moving so there's all of this extra detail that you can get and understanding you can get about the ways that you move when you work in a scenario like this mm. because you're doing the thing you're you're actually doing the work mm. you're writing down the reps you're tracking the process you've got the assessment all that different kind of stuff but the learning process is so detailed and in depth now it's not for everybody some people say i want to switch off and you know go to the gym and do the same thing and do do my pump class and and go home not for that person at all but for someone that wants to learn more about their body deep in their own relationship with their body and get really meaningful results along the way and learn how to train for themselves this is one of the best ways to do it because you close the gap between what you think your body is doing and what your body is doing in real life and you also get to understand the components of movement in such a deeper way Mm. than if you just buy a program and you try and do it and there's no feedback loop yeah it's just one way it's like i'm doing a thing and i'm praying that it's working yeah you need you need to have that you need well some self-motivation and awareness so there's a lot that can help yeah with those standalone programs and also too just finally like it's such a small you know, not to get into, like, I'm not trying to sell it for you here, but it's a tiny investment. <laughs> like, I remember when I was 17, I had been, I started the gym when I was 16 or something. And I was just doing some basics. And my uncle, who was a gymnast, and he now would be in his 60s. So I think he was, what, like 40 something. Yeah. So he came to New Zealand and visited us from California. His name is John as well. And we went to the beach and I'd been doing my training or whatever. And so, you know, I had my shirt off, my shorts, and we we're running around and kind of doing some stuff. And this dude was a weapon to me, like he still is. Uh, but I remember he said something, which was, and I was just getting started with some training. And he said, look, if you keep this up, he said, I can see you getting some results. He was very like, he was a very calm guy. If you keep this up, you'll have something that, will be with you for life mm. and it'll change or whatever but he's like you'll have it for life he's like that's a good thing and he's right that i look at my old man and he's 74 he's still got it right and of course like you know life comes and goes or whatever things yeah. happen but they can work with you for i even think a short like a year right two years it's not that long yeah. and then you have a understanding of how you can train and even if you've done a bit of training before you get a whole bunch more understanding that 
you then got the next four decades that you get to play with these concepts. Like I'm playing with concepts from that last dude every week and I wouldn't have had it and it costed me a few thousand dollars, whatever, cheap, very cheap for what you get out of it. That's kind of my view. It's like an asymmetric trade. You hire someone, physical coaching. It's the same with any coaching, right? You get these insights that, okay, I can deploy for the next 60 years. Absolutely. Like it's, for me, exactly the same thing starting business. Yeah. I made, when I started training, made every single mistake in the book. And some of the best progress I've made in my life is when I hired my first coach at 26. Exactly the same in business. When I first started, made every single mistake in the book. I remember it was, looking at you know what time do you need to post on instagram to have the biggest impact and stuff like that and that was where all of my focus was yeah and then i joined creator club and then it was just having someone to close the gap between what i think i'm doing that's effective Mm. and what someone with way more experience and way more breadth of experience is doing that is actually effective Mm. and it's exactly the same thing with coaching it's It's the same thing yeah. yeah it's just you're getting someone that does this for a living yeah and you're not just like shooting in the dark anymore yeah and if you're serious about making the progress like man honestly when i first started coaching i saw people around me i was working at reception in this commercial gym while i was studying my pt degree and i saw all these people around me i'd speak to these pts and a lot of them were like oh yeah you know dave yeah i've been training him for 12 years and you see dave come in and like i don't like no disrespect but like it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of progress in that 12 years. And it was more of a social interaction. That's good. That's he just, could have been in a real bad way. But he could have been. I don't know, man. You don't know. Yeah, maybe Dave was in a wheelchair. I'm not sure. But like, I would see this relationship where it was much more about the social interaction. And that's fine. And that's good. And that's better than nothing. And yeah. there is a place for that. But for me personally, I am really passionate about trying to empower my students to learn the process for themselves, to understand how to be effective for themselves. And I, I don't want to train anyone for 10 years and do the same thing. If they're continually improving and getting new skills and learning more, awesome. But if they're like, hey, I feel like I've gotten what I need from you. I'm going to go and do my own thing now. I'm going to sleep super well that night because that's what I want for my students. That's what I want out of my coaching. Might not be the best business model in the world, but that's still something I really care about because that then I know that I've done my job. That I know that like more people are gonna have that that thing that they've got for life, and they can take that and they can go explore other stuff. They can chase more interests, things that they enjoy more, new avenues. But they're gonna bring that really solid foundational knowledge to those next things. Yeah, and not gonna make those same mistakes over and over and over again because it can happen forever. That's it. All right, brother. I think that's us. Anything else you want to add? It's been awesome. Yeah, been awesome having you on. All right, I'll pop your links down the bottom just quickly though where would you where could people find you on instagram websites stuff like that yeah i'm most active on instagram it's fernandez f-e-r-n-a-n-d-e-z underscore white belt that's w-h-y-t-b-e-l-t my website's whitebelt.com but instagram's where i'm most active and i have a podcast as well called the white belt podcast if you want to hear me rant more about stuff cool all right that's it thanks again thanks man